Welcome to the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast, a podcast where we teach speakers how to land paid speaking engagements and corporate contracts. Each week, we deliver high-quality content that teaches you how to level up your speaking business. Be sure to join the Speak Your Way to Cash Facebook group after having your mind blown by this information-filled episode. Now, here's your host, Ashley Kirkwood, lawyer and professional speaker. This is the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. It's Ashley Kirkwood and I'm here with a very special guest, Sima Dahl, who has won so many awards in the speaking industry. I mean, she's a huge part of Toastmasters. And I know the last episode you all heard was with uh, Jim Cathcart, who is huge into the National Speakers Association. So now we'll get to hear more about Toastmasters and how she built her career and what you all can learn from her. So Sima, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm delighted to be here. I'm doing well. And I want to just make a quick correction. I also own, uh, have earned the certified speaking professional designation from National Speakers Association. So I uh, have a double dipped, if you will. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think he won the golden gavel. From- oh, it's, he's amazing. He's the yeah. nicest man. He is. He's awesome. Our interview was so long. He's so good. He's so full of knowledge. I mean, over 40 years of experience. So what, what can you expect? He was amazing. So this will be great. This will be great. Now, tell us a little bit about the business that you have now and how speaking plays a role in that business. The business I have now is actually as a full-time keynote speaker and corporate trainer. And when I started my business 11 years ago now, I was doing more consulting and I was invited to speak on the topics I was consulting about. So my background is in corporate marketing, specifically B2B marketing, the slow, complex sale. And I was doing some writing about the role of social media in B2B marketing and uh, how you know high-tech sales leaders can use LinkedIn, those kinds of things. I started getting invited to speak, which of course helped grow my business. But at one point, you know, Ashley, I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, the truth is I like the speaking and the training more than the consulting. And so I flipped, I flipped the switch and went full time. Nice. Nice. That's amazing. So how were you getting, um, so you started off in consulting. We also interviewed uh, Kamanzi Constable. And mm-hmm. he talked a lot about the consulting field and how to land consulting clients. And I think he still does a bit of both. But how were you getting consulting clients when you first started your business? Well, so the truth is I was a corporate, let's see, a corporate marketer for 20 years, 13 in high tech. And I'm in Chicago. So the high-tech community is fairly well-knit here in the Chicagoland area. And I was involved in lots of associations and groups and had spoken to communities uh, about high-tech marketing. So when I went uh, out on my own, I I like to say I've had more jobs than boyfriends because (laughs) high-tech is volatile, very volatile career. So I started consulting because there was yet another acquisition and I was a victim of yet another round of layoffs. And I had established my name already. So I got my consulting clients by word of mouth and referral. And that's exactly what I started writing about. How to use your digital footprint, your social media platforms to generate referrals. And that's much of what I still talk about today. 
That's awesome. So your business, is your business today still primarily based on referrals? Yes, I'm happy to say I do mostly uh, book new business through referrals, but today I'm excited to launch a brand new website and I will be doing some more outbound marketing. You know, we marketers, we have issues marketing ourselves. I like to say it's tough to cut your own hair, but uh, I'm going to start doing more of that. But yes, I've made an 11 year business earned my certified speaking professional designation and and recently the accredited uh, speaker award all on referrals. Wonderful. Wonderful. And when did you join Toastmasters and NSA? I joined the National Speakers Association. I want to say uh, I'm in my sixth or my seventh year. Um, The minute I realized that I had a a bit of a natural gift for speaking and wanted to make a living out of it. I did everything I could to surround myself with people already doing exactly that. So it was natural for me to join the National Speakers Association. We have a fabulous chapter here in Illinois. And then I learned about Toastmasters, which when I was a young, a young executive, I honestly thought you got together at bars and learned how to make toasts. I had no idea. (laughs) But I learned about Toastmasters, and then I actually helped found uh, a Toastmasters club in uh, in a business uh, in a business club that I was a member of, and um, immediately built a camaraderie of friends who were interested in becoming better speakers, more confident leaders, and quite frankly, it got me out of the house, Ashley, because yeah. I have a home office. So you know, make sure the pants still zip, put on the heels, and get out the door. And I really joined for fun. And then later learned it was a fabulous way to hone my skills and quite frankly, meet new business opportunities. That is awesome. And it's good that you say meet new business opportunities because a lot of the research you find on Toastmasters is pretty clear that it's not about that. It's more so about honing your speaking skill, whereas NSA is more so about building your speaking business. Um, Would you agree with that distinction or what what are your thoughts on that having been a part of both? Yes, I would wholeheartedly agree. National Speakers Association is about the business of speaking. Toastmasters is more about your platform skills. That being said, when you're engaged and active in the Toastmasters community and others have a chance to hear you speak, they become uh, champions of you. You know, I call them personal brand champions. They know who you are. They know what you do, what you speak about. And they help open doors. And I landed some of my Fortune 500 clients through referrals from fellow Toastmasters. That's awesome. Now, when people hear Fortune 500 clients, the initial, I think the initial thought that goes into their mind is like, okay, well, I need to write long proposals. I need to make sure that I'm able to have sales conversations with executives. And, you know, it seems very intimidating. Is that always the case or how are you navigating through the corporate process now as an independent entrepreneur? Well, first of all, if you are listening to this and you think it is intimidating, you are 10,000% right. (laughs) And I still find it intimidating. I mean, we each have our strengths, Um, but oftentimes my foot in the door with a large Fortune 500 company was with one particular group. So for example, I might work with United Airlines, but with their high potential leaders, or I might work with Zebra Technologies and I'm working with their channel sales. So it's not that all of a sudden, 
all the employees in the corporation are, you know, getting my content. It's, you know, one foot in the door and then you grow from there. Yes. And I'm, I'm really glad that you said that. And for those of you who don't know, affinity groups do bring in speakers at corporations. So there are, um, there are so many different affinity groups for different corporations. But when I was contacted by a really small, um, a small, a, a small group in a large insurance company, it was by one of their affinity groups, the women's affinity group. And so you can get in the door by just doing great work for one individual group. And I find that affinity groups, it's a very seamless process. And typically there aren't proposals and the, the budget for them will be a little bit smaller, but you can expand after going in through that door. So yeah, do keep that in mind. That's a great point. Yeah. And and keep an ear out for, they're also sometimes called uh, Berg's business uh, employee Employee resource groups or, you know, employee resource groups. Um, but that's exactly what they are, right? So the LGBTQ plus community, the African-American community, uh, single parent community, all kinds of affinity groups, the larger the company, the more of them they typically have. It's part of their retention strategy. And when you can, when you can pitch your content to a corporation as helping employees be more productive or stay longer, perform better, then you've got to win. Definitely. Definitely. So for people who aren't connected, I think it's always tough for our listeners to hear the referral game because for them, they're like, but I haven't even gotten my first five engagements. So where do these referrals come from? What would you say to that person? Would you recommend joining a Toastmasters or an NSA or would you recommend um, some other way to drum up that business? Do you do any cold outreach? So here's the big misunderstanding. I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind. If you think referrals only come from other speakers, referrals come from everybody, you know, so the first thing I do when I'm working with an emerging speaker is I have them work on their personal, uh, you know, elevator pitch, their digital footprint, you know, by day I'm a CPA. And in my free times, I enjoy talking to groups of divorcees about, you know, long-term planning or whatever that way you start letting your network know the people who already know and love you that you also speak. And I'm not going to lie, Ashley, in the beginning, I spoke anywhere to anyone for lots of zero dollars. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I remember I'm in Chicago, so we have horrific winters. And I remember one winter's night driving what should have been 45 minutes instead it took me two hours in a snowstorm to speak in the basement of a small church there were 10 people there i had brought my own projector my own slideshow two of the audience members uh, were visually impaired and two of the 10 were actually seeing eye dogs i mean i just hustled yeah those people if they enjoy your content they become an extension of your sales force Yeah. And that's a great way to think about it. And, you know, every speaker we've had on here has said you speak for free in the beginning. Like that is just what most people have done. And a part of it too, is that most people don't start speaking to get rich. They speak because they love speaking. So I think that's important to note as well is that a lot of speakers absolutely love what they do and they would do it for free, but they have, they have bills and everything else to pay. Yeah. Or they speak because they, they find it becomes a funnel for their business. Right. I know plenty of service professionals like CPAs, wealth managers, wealth advisors, family practitioners who talk about the topic 
to get leads for their, for their quote unquote real business. Yes, yes. And if you all are listening to this, our interview with Ash Exantis actually describes what type of criteria you need to have in place before taking on those engagements. Because, you know, I own a trademark law firm, so I've done some of that as well, but the engagement has to qualify because it's just, That's right. you have to make sure that you're just not like, oh, I'll go talk to a room full of people who don't even own a business to try to get business that doesn't make sense. So you really do want to ask probing questions. And when you're doing it free, you can ask even deeper questions. <laughs> because That's right. That's right. In the beginning, I took it as an opportunity to better learn the business. I spoke to rotary organizations, to groups at libraries, again, at churches, places of worship. And ultimately, I started better qualifying the audience because your time, yes, you know, that time, right? So um, the magic question, some, I don't know what speak, I want to say it was Lori Guest. I'm going to give her credit for this. She taught me to ask this question at some point, if you're not speaking to drop leads into your day job or your day business, like you were as a trademark mm-hmm. attorney, um, the question is, um, I'd be happy to consider the opportunity. Tell me, what is your speaker's honorarium? And so from $50 to $500, I often was surprised people would give me something, an honorarium, quote unquote, um, and they never would offer it had I not asked. So that was a great way to all of a sudden you cash a $50 check. You're a paid speaker, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> no, that, that is, that's great. That is a really great question to ask. I hope you all have your pen and papers out because for people who have difficulty having the money conversation, I think that's really, really um, a phenomenal way to do it. Yeah. It's safe. It's comfortable. You know, to this day, Ashley, I'm 11 years in and I still, don't like to have the, the money conversation, but you have to get comfortable with it. You don't have to be super slick or good unless of course you're teaching sales skills. Right, right. <laughs> you have to, you have to have it. You have to know that you have worth and um, you know, then you got to figure out when to raise your fees and all of that. But just, just getting those first few checks in really felt good for me because I knew I wanted to do this for a living. Yeah. And that's a good point. And honestly, guys, no one likes having the conversation. I was talking to um, to Seema before this, and I was telling her about my bookkeeping experiences. And there's a point in the conversation where the bookkeeper is like, all right, so we got to talk about how much it's going to cost. And what she didn't know was that I was going to pay the number that she dropped regardless. Because I was so sick of the experience. I was so sick of the problem that if she offered a solution and she was referred, so I already knew that people loved her. I was going to go with it. I, I like I had already decided before we got on the phone I was going to hire her, but she didn't know that. And so I say that to say sometimes when we are leading those conversations, what we don't know is they want us specifically, especially when they've, they're reaching out to you. They've already watched your TEDx talk. They already want you. And so approaching those conversations from that vantage point may be helpful. Because I know she was kind of, you know, antsy about it. Like, oh, I want to help this woman. I've already given her so much great free information. I don't know if she's going to pay these thousands upon thousands of dollars. Right. I don't know how bad that problem is. For Like for me, accounting and all that, I don't even, like I have to pay for it. I would never. I will tell you uh, once and I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Just um, um, my name. I name my name is a tricky one. It's pronounced Sima, like Sima, Sima down, Sima down. down. But, you know, I was going to tell you, there was actually one time where I submitted a quote 
And the client came back to me and confidentially took me under wing and said, you need to raise this because you're at a different caliber. The other speakers we're hiring for that day are priced much higher and you can't show that much disparity in your, in your fees because it's a perception of value. And that's rare that somebody will do that for you because everybody wants a deal. But that was a big eye opener for me. You, you have to know uh, who else you're speaking with, what circles you're running with and price yourself accordingly. You yes. can always negotiate. You know, we used to say um, when I was in marketing, high tech, we used to say you have to set a number that allows you to come down. You have to give them room yeah. to negotiate with you. But anytime you lower your fee, you have to remove some value. Otherwise, you're just dropping your pants for no good reason. Yes. Yeah, I like what you said about lowering your fee while also removing some value because it's it must be very strange to a client if your fee is $7,500 and then they're like, well, our budget's $3,000. And you're like, that'll work. Like that. Yes, yep, exactly. <laughs> it's very confusing. So I, I really like that a lot, Sima. That was really good. And so- well, the, Just the flip side to that is you can also negotiate for your own value add. So perhaps it's a full page color ad in their industry trade magazine or or some give and take so you're not just randomly saying oh I'll do it for whatever you have yeah good point yes yes I like that a lot and for all of you who speak to colleges just know the budget they have for your speaking is not the same budget they have for your books so whenever a college can't afford my full rate we go right to books like all right so how many like what and typically the way that I broach it is some of my clients who haven't had my full fee have agreed to purchase 500 of the bulk books at this rate. Will that work for you as well? It's just easier to have it that way versus saying like, will you buy all these books because you can't afford my fee? Just give them options that your other clients have taken in the past. So then they know it's pretty standard and it's a better way to, it's an easier way for you to have the conversation or at least I thought it was for me. Um, Yeah, and you can ask if they have other budgets. So the speaker budget is one pot of money, but you can ask, do you have an educational budget or a materials budget? Every company, every college does it differently. So asking those questions is key. Yes. No, I like that a lot, Sima. That's good. And you also mentioned that you were doing corporate training, but you also do keynote speaking. So what is, what is the difference in pitching for those two opportunities and what's the rate differential? Because I think for a lot of newer speakers, it's hard to gauge where they want to set their hat. And for a lot of people, you can't just start off at the keynote level. You are starting off doing workshops and trainings and things of that nature. But what are the differences and or similarities? You know, there is no rule book here. For me, my workshops, my corporate training is keynote style delivery. So it is very high energy, very dynamic, catered to the audience. I like to say what you get on this stage when I'm the when I'm in front of your large group audience main stage speech is what you get in the intimate environment. So I price my services similarly. Okay. That can be difficult for corporations who have smaller training budgets. So it's just a give and take. You have to look at, are there multiple training opportunities? Are there um, you know, design fees? So if my day rate is X, do I also get Y for designing this custom delivery? Um, but the more parity you can get, if somebody won't hire you for a keynote, if they can get you half the price, 
right? If I'm talking to a sales audience of 500 people and my keynote is, you know, two times that of my corporate training, that doesn't make sense to the buyer. So I have to really um, be very careful about how I do that. That makes a lot of sense. And I find that some companies have smaller budgets for training in general. So I I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I'm in the corporate space, I should be 7,500 to 15,000. But for trainings on average, I've seen anywhere, especially for things, trainings that don't have um, sales value to the company. So diversity trainings, soft leadership skills trainings, they may be as low as 3,500 to 50. Oh, they can be 1,250. You can, you know, those giant training companies yeah. who will put a trainer in your in your boardroom for $1,500 because they go all over the country and they do, you know, finance 101 for non, you know, non-finance people or whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's textbook. It's not customized. So it's, um, it's a very nuanced business. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hmm, that's good to know. Now, you mentioned early in your career, you were a part of a lot of associations that helped you to kind of build your network. If there is a marketing speaker that's listening or someone that does social media or um, engagement and online engagement, any of that type of stuff, what are some associations that you found valuable that you would recommend? Well, here's my thing about associations and, and industries. So for me, I tried to be involved in the community so that was the Chicagoland area, you know, um, Illinois Technology Association, for example. Mm-hmm. I was a marketing person in the tech industry, so I, I got involved there. Um, as a marketer, I was part of the American Marketing Association, the Business Marketing Association. I volunteered for a nonprofit for a long time. I was um, Boys and Girls Clubs. It, it, that doesn't matter to me as much as the level of engagement. So whatever, you can subscribe to 10 different, let's say you're a marketer and you want to talk on marketing topics. You can subscribe to all the newsletters, go to an event here, go to an event there. You don't have to join. But the one you decide to join is the one where you absolutely have to raise your hand and get involved. It's in the involvement that you build trust, credibility, you build your network. The very first social selling talk I ever gave inside uh, a large insurance company was an it by invitation of a fellow board member of the American Marketing Association. And I was talking to the board about social media to generate leads. And he said, you know, we bring somebody in every three months to talk to our sales force about that. Would you be interested? And it was a light bulb moment for me that everybody, you know, knows somebody who needs what you do. Yeah. It's raising your hand saying, I volunteer, I will do that, getting the job done on time, being creative, playing nice with neighbors, putting your toys away. All the fundamentals is what buys you the trust, the credibility, know, like, and trust. And that's where the winning happens. Yeah, it's a longer, it's a longer game. Building relationships really does take time. And I do think that we kind of in this you know, and then the way that things are set up now, like with social media and instant gratification, making the sale quick, especially if you're used to B2C sales. So business right. consumer, consumer sales close way faster. Mm-hmm. They do one consult, you send the invoice, they make the payment, you're done. Less than 24 hours. You met them on Instagram yesterday, they're ready to go today. And it's just not the same game when you're looking at 
corporate relationships? Not at all. We, we are a B2B sell. They not only want your content, but they want your delivery style, your experience, your, you know, you come packed with all this history and knowledge and you have to really market that. And I've had sales cycles last well over a year. Mm-hmm. And I have had people who've heard me speak or knew me in high school who have gen- who have come out of the woodworks five, 10, in one case, 20 years later to say, I have a lead for you because, you know, I, I work hard to stay top of mind and remind people what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And we don't do the best job, or at least I find with my speaking clients, we don't always think about the associations that we're already a part of. So I went to the University of Illinois, tons of alum. I Me went to too. Champaign. Oh, did you? Oh my goodness, I didn't even know that. That's horrible. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign and I went to Northwestern. So I'm double Big Ten. So anyone in the Big Ten, anyone in Northwestern, U of I, like when I'm looking at companies, that's what I'm looking at. Because I know at least for the Northwestern community, we're very like, oh, very Northwestern, we're going to talk. <laughs> that's so funny i went to illinois champaign urbana but but a hundred years before you went and then i went uh, and did my my master's at DePaul university and again Simmons, nice. very tight-knit so you're right leveraging those networks but honestly don't ignore the neighbor don't ignore the dentist who says yeah. what's new and you say oh i've just here's what's new i've just started speaking to community groups about you know mental health awareness because that dentist knows people who need that. And so it's literally the person next to you on the bus, the train, the airplane. That's why I don't call it an elevator pitch anymore. Because yeah. we really don't talk to strangers in elevators. No, we don't. It's your airplane pitch, right? It's your yeah. it's who you are. It's what you do. What makes you special. And if you can get people in your network to remember that, you're already halfway there. That's a really, really good point. And then also, I mean, you're great at packaging. So you've written a ton on being memorable and all of these things. So you are really good at packaging your expertise, but everyone really isn't. So how would you recommend people who are listening start to get better at packaging who they are and what they do? Wow, that is a that is a gigantic question. I know. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're right. We all have our, our gifts from an early age. I was always the word nerd and I've always had the ability to string together words in a unique, concise way to convey my meaning. That's how I made my career in B2B branding and messaging. But you're right. It's a unique skill that many don't just have. This is where working with a a business coach. You don't have to hire a coach for 15 years, but working with a sharp marketer, a content strategist, yes. a, a speaker who's been around the block, just on a very concerted uh, branding initiative. Look, I always tell emerging speakers, this is my rule, Ashley, before you take out your credit card, you have to get permission from your two closest friends and or spouse, plus one professional speaker. Because let's just call it what it is, a lot of speakers selling services and get rich quick schemes to those who don't know better. And it and is they lie. Because it's, it's not this that's right. game is not a fast game. I never forget I had a coach that was like, Well, just tell people that you're gonna help all these speakers make six figures in six days. And I was like, But I'm not. 
That's right. <laughs> You're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So anybody who works with me, I tell them you have to get permission from me and you pick two other people. Like it could be a spouse, a best friend or whatever, but you need permission from three people before you give any service provider your credit card. But that being said, working with somebody smart, legit on your brand position, here's what I find most speakers do. Uh, they say in the beginning, they say, I can speak on so many different things to almost any audience. The problem is the buyer doesn't want a generalist. The buyer wants to know that you can crush a topic for exactly their audience. So you have to think of it backwards. Again, this is classic B2B marketing. You start very small, very focused, and then you can expand. But, you know, I can speak on leadership, communication, social selling, you know, romance and relationships and mental health. Like, I don't believe you. Right. 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 And I will like when I was looking to hire um, back to my bookkeeping world, a bookkeeper, there was one web, woman's website that had all of those things on it. It was like a landing page and it was like, I'm a bookkeeper. I um, I walk dogs. Literally, this was it. She said she walked dogs. And then she had something else on there. And the thing is, you could do all those things exceptionally well. I, as the consumer, I just don't want to know that my bookkeeper is also having a dog walking business. Like, I just want to see the bookkeeping. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's, it, it, and so um, it, it's hard. I, I work with my clients to sort of pick um, a loose enough niche where there's room to grow, but not all things to all people. You know, and, and of course, it can't be so very specific that only six people want to know about it. So, I, you know, when working with, with emerging speakers, I'll say, where do the people who need to hear your message congregate? Where do they congregate? If they congregate in corporate boardrooms or like we were talking about earlier, those affinity groups, or do they come together at association meetings? If they don't congregate, you don't have a sellable topic. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to think about it. That's a great way to think about it. And then go there. Right. Go Get there. Get involved in that. And your time is limited. So joining associations, what I found is that if you can join one, exactly to it, then do that. Because I've even been invited to stuff to get awards and they do this thing now where a part of the award is like all this extra stuff you have to do after you get the award. I just, I just don't do it. I just decline the award because I already know how my time is set up and I just That's wouldn't right. have time to be, I wouldn't be a memorable member of that association. I'd be phoning it in and then I'd feel so guilty for not going to all these meetings and doing all this stuff. It's just like, I just can't. <laughs> That's right. You have to pick, you have to pick one and commit to it and do it really well. And the, and the relationships you make there are life, they will last a lifetime. I'm still, you know, I served on the board of the, American Marketing Association here in Chicago for, I want to say six, seven years and another five in the Business Marketing Association. And I can call any one of those people up and ask them for an introduction and no hesitation because they know me to be a good person who follows through on my commitments. And they only know that because I volunteered. Yeah. That's really, it's, it's an important avenue, but you can't join 10 things and spread yourself that thin. No, you can't. And for those of you interested in speaking to law firms, there's a legal marketing association. I've gone to some of their events, really well done, very nice events, and they do have opportunities for people to speak. Um, and they are typically unpaid. However, you get in front of you get in front of all of the marketing professionals in all of the law firms in whatever region you're speaking at. 
So it's a very valuable um, organization to join. So there are associations for everything. Just look it up, see which ones are great. Talk to some members. They're really willing to talk to you before you join and just find out whether it'll be a good investment of your time and whether you can contribute something unique that they don't already have. I think that that would be good as well. Absolutely. So what advice, if you could go back to your first year in professional speaking, what would you do differently? Well, Ashley, much like you, I would outsource all the financials from day one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Just get that off my plate. It's not how my mind works. Um, Second, I would start building my list. It's when my business started taking off and it was all referrals. uh, Even though I am an award-winning marketer, I turned a blind eye to marketing fundamentals and I was not diligent about creating that list so you can start sharing news with people who actually really enjoy what you have to say. Mm -hmm. So financials off my plate, list building right away. And honestly, I would have been well served by an accountability partner slash business coach early on because any entrepreneur will tell you it's overwhelming. So the list of things you need to do, the list of things you want to do, and then the ideas that you can't even touch That's the longest list of all. So really focusing my energy and my time. And I think with that would be my my fourth is the sooner you get it off your plate and outsource, the better. Because, you know, like you, Ashley, I can log into Quicken and I can learn it and teach my, but that is not my happy place nor my gift. Right. So you get rid of that right away. Get your taxes off your plate. If you are not somebody who likes to tinker in the back end of websites, get somebody else doing that. Yeah. And you know, managing your social media. I'm really good at social media, but it's very time consuming. So that's something I'm looking to get off my plate. So I can focus on the things I do best, which is create content, perform on stage, and close business. Yeah. Yeah. And building, you can have more time to build the relationships. It's just a lot of work doing all the extra stuff. And you don't want to get, you don't want to get frustrated. And now we're in a global economy. That's right. It doesn't have to cost you the cost of a full-time employee to do your social media. It doesn't like, I have a woman from Fiverr who updates all of my Kartra pages because she knows Kartra. And when I got the system, I love, I love the system and all the stuff that it does, but it's not easy to use. That's right. I needed to find someone who could handle that and who could schedule all the emails through it and all of that. I like to do stuff in Google Docs and then assign it to someone else to make it go where it needs to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm starting to use more collaborative technologies like that. My team, my virtual team, we're using Slack. I have a project management solution called teamwork that I enjoy. I'm using copper for CRM. So fewer places to put information where you can share more quickly. And and then we use Dropbox. We're big into that, but you know, systems make it easy to scale. And so anytime you find yourself doing something over and over or tweaking it every time you do it, there's an opportunity to operationalize the process and get it off your plate. Yep. Yep. I just did a uh, book talk with the founder of Thank God It's Natural, a large hair care company. And she was saying in her book, she says, if I'm spending too much time doing something or I'm too stressed, I either have a people problem or a process problem. That's right. It's my job as the CEO to figure out which. So that is something that we as speakers should think more about is the business end of it. Because it's not, it really can be systemized. 
especially if you're starting out and like, maybe you have a day job, you have a family and you've only got limited time. It feels like a luxury to hire a bookkeeper or a luxury. Like I really should, I can do this. I should do this. And we've got, you've got, that's where the accountability partner or that coach comes in that says, just cause you can, doesn't mean you should, they're not equal. You know, one of the things I do when I'm giving a, a big a main stage keynote, especially if I know it's going to be filmed, is I no longer pack. Uh, y'all can't see me, but I have just big, wild hair. I like to, if it rains, I'd turn into a chia pet. So one of the things I do instead of packing all the what if it rains, what if it's humid, 17 different barrettes and brushes, is I book, I book the glam squat. And it might feel like a luxury, but knowing that I don't have to pack the all the what ifs if I have a blemish or a bad hair day and it's just going to be handled, that just takes so much anxiety off, uh, makes packing a snap. Those are the kind of things that you really can't see for yourself, but a good coach can help you with. Yeah. And that's a really good point because one of the things we started doing is just making sure that we reserve 10 to 15% for video and photography every single time. And it was, it's expensive to have good video and, and all of that, but it also made me more cautious of my pricing because I knew that it was also a necessity. Cause I've had, I've sent videos to clients and gotten books like just because they watched the video. Outstanding. One of my people have said in the video, I get really video. You really need video. <laughs> you do need video. And that was something else that I neglected early on. I just launched my first highlight reel. You can see it at simadoll.com. But um, here's my, here's my cheat for anybody just starting out. Many times, if you have a, a, a day engagement or even a weeknight engagement, you will find very talented wedding videographers with free time because they're, they're mostly weekends. Mm-hmm. So you can get a very talented videographer who mostly does special events and weddings who can set up a stationary camera and then man one of them live and get some really beautiful footage for a fraction of the cost of the big high production value, which we all love. But I mean, Ashley, I can see you're nodding. I'm nodding. It's big coin. Yeah, it is. Like you're spending like ten to fifteen thousand dollars. That's also why I like TEDx talks because they have traditionally they have really high standards for their. Now you have to look at which TEDx talks. I've seen some that weren't. They're not all created equal, but a lot of the um, the bigger ones in the bigger cities with that are that have better funding have really high quality standards on their video. And those and that's videos on my to do list, Ashley. So if you have any hookups, help a girl out. <laughs> yeah, we just had one in Chicago. It just um, I have a. For those of you in the Facebook group, Speak Your Way to Cash, you know that I posted the TEDx Rush U talk when they were looking for people. So I talked to the organizers and I'll be doing that one as well. But this is my second one. But they, if I see another one, I'll definitely keep you in mind for that. Thank you. Yeah, because they're, they're really good talks to do and they, get, they, can, they can potentially get picked up by TED. So That's I've right. learned now there's all these different rules and parameters that help that to happen. But they're just great for sending it to a client quickly. They love watching them. It's really That's cool. right. It's good prestige. The one thing I would say to anybody listening, if you're an emerging speaker, a new speaker, you're going to hear a lot of you need. You need to have this. You need to do that. Uh, You can't can't move forward with your business if you don't have a book, if you don't have a YouTube channel, if you don't have a... And there's always a speaker who has flown in the face of the shoulds and the needs and succeeded anyway. So you have to find the right path forward for you given the time you have, the finances you have and the focus. Yep. So take all, you know, all the ideas and 
to then choose one to do well. Just yes. one a quarter, whatever your rhythm and your pace is. But it, it can be overwhelming. It still is. And I'm doing this yeah. 11 years. Yeah. And you need to start. So you all know, like, if you listen to me, I'm big on take one step, right? Like if you are going to do something today, it could just be buying the domain. The next day, it could be figuring out what the title of your signature talk is. The day after that, it's coming up with a framework. Like just take a step. And quite frankly, when I first started, the way my demo video and website looked was nothing like the way it looks now. And when I first started, I didn't even, I mean, you do what you have to do. I created my own website because it was free. And I'm also big on you elevate when you make more money to elevate. So I was not investing a ton of money in things that weren't making me money. That's Um, right. Like other people have different opinions on that. But as money started coming in, I could tell what things were making me money. So you track those things. When you send out an email, I would know that the client clicked on the the email for my website and decided not to book a call with me. So I knew I needed a better website after that started to happen several times. So tracking is important because it'll kind of tell you where you should be spending money, but don't be afraid to start where you're at. And if you don't know how to track, it's something you can outsource. One of my yeah, clients, well, just use a system like HubSpot. They actually have a free trial um, when you're right. first starting out. Just use like that's what I use. And then once I started getting business from it, then I upgraded the account. But you could typically start free and then upgrade as as things start going better. Absolutely. One one of the tips that I give young speakers. One of my clients, we put together three talks. Uh, the title, the 50 to 100 word description, and the three takeaways. You always need the takeaways. After spending an hour with me, your audience will do what? Know what? Feel what? Three to five takeaways. And she pitched the talks, never having written them. And she's booked three. She has two pending. Now she's going to worry about actually delivering the talk, but she doesn't have to have it all sorted out till somebody says, yes, I'm interested. So yes. a lot of things can wait. Yes. Yes. And that's the, that's the benefit of getting started. Because if you would have pitched them and then you realize that that target audience that you're targeting doesn't, isn't interested in those topics or you're getting some different feedback, right? you haven't wasted a whole like five days writing this awesome talk. That's right. <laughs> or five months in some people's cases, right? Yeah. Or five months. Yeah. Is, yeah. You know, I mean, that's just depending on how you are. Some people like writing talks word for word. I don't do that. I like outlines, but... I'm an outline girl too. The, yeah. the other thing, um, I'm just like, so ideas are flying by, but a lot of people get caught up in brand. You know, yeah. everything has to match and everything has to be perfect. And quite frankly, it needs to look legitimate. It should look, it should look rich. It should look pretty. But what, when you are holding back sales and marketing because everything isn't lined up per- precisely, perfectly, like a giant corporation, you're overthinking it. My brand has changed three, four times in the last 11 years. My tagline has changed. Heck, my company name has changed, <laughs> right? Which is why a lot of times I recommend speakers focus on their name. That's unlikely to change. But um, it doesn't need to be perfect for you to move forward. So yep. I agree with you. Crawl, walk, run, right? Just get into motion, focus where you're going to get the greatest return and never stop you know, innovating. Definitely. So what's next for you? What can we expect for you in this new phase of your life? I know you said you have a new website launching. So what is next for your brand? Yes, the website just launched this week and I am coming out with a digital course and my first whole book. So I've written chapters in 
other people's books, but this book will be me, all me. And so you'll be seeing that in the coming next uh, three to six months. By the by, the start of the new year, I will have some something more to show. That is awesome. That is awesome. And where can the Speak Your Way to Cash community find you on the internet? You can find me most easily at simadoll.com. My name is spelled S-I-M-A. That's S is in Sam, I, M is in Mary A. Last name Doll, D is in David, A-H-L, like like Roll Doll, who wrote James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> and, I, um, and I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and I'd love to connect and chat with you more. Definitely. And we'll link to um, her website with all of her handles there so that you all can connect with her for sure. And one of the last things like, that we like to ask Sima sometimes is, what is the best piece of speaking advice you've received? And what is the best piece of advice you could give? The best piece of advice I have received is to, um, for me personally, I think I was a little bit overly risk adverse. I was unsure of my message, unsure how it would be received. And I had a coach ask me, you know, do you believe in what you're telling people? Do you believe in your content? Does it move people forward, help people grow? And I said, yes. And the coach said to me, then you have to let it out, put it out into the universe. And I was overthinking my value, my worth, is it enough? And as it turns out, it's more than enough. And most people have more than enough to move forward. So that was the best advice I received. The best advice I could give is, I think, Ashley, much like you said, start now. Speaking careers take time to build. And if you're only interested in speaking as a lead funnel for your business, still, it takes time to build awareness, to perfect your platform skills, to get better at subtly selling from the stage. All of it just takes time and practice. So if this is of interest to you, then today's the day to start. Definitely. That's phenomenal advice. Well, thank you so very much, Sima. We are so happy to have you on the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. And you guys, be sure to reach out to her, follow her on Instagram, head to her new website, check it out. I'm sure it's fabulous. I'm sure it's fabulous. So you all have a lot of homework to do, okay? Because Sima gave us some great tips and I will talk to you all next time. Oh, before we go, I did want to let you all know, remember the Speak Your Way to Cash live event is in October. If you want info on that, just go to ashleynicolekirkwood.com, click on events, and I will see you guys in Chicago the end of October. Have a great day. 